0: Well, this week marks the last uh, week of our current series on the Psalms. We'll actually have a a one-week break uh, from a series uh, next week. We have one service because of Labor Day weekend at 9 a.m. And uh, welcome Karis Parker to to the pulpit uh, to preach that week. And then after that, we'll begin a series on Galatians. Um, This past week, I got... This past week, I got pretty, uh, pretty fired up listening to the radio. I don't know if you got fired up hearing some of the things on, uh, on the radio, but I, I, you know, what? news people, I think, do this, right? They want us to get kind of, they hear a headline and, and go crazy and, and, and just derange. And, and the headline was about a hacker who, in the last uh, few weeks, hacked T Mobile. Uh, and you're all, uh, you've probably heard this story, and, and what they said on the news channel, they only had a few seconds to talk about it, they said the reason uh, that this person did this essentially was because they could. <laughs> and so why they steal millions of people's personal data? Because they could. Uh, and their description was, uh, you, your defenses, your security that you had was too weak uh, to stop me, and that was the reason. And I hear that and I go, what? What are you doing? What does the world come to? I went on to read a little bit more about the story, and that's not necessarily the case of what happened. Uh, The news channel got me again, got me fired up. But we live in a world where we hear story upon story that can get us absolutely angry with rage. I'm reminded here of an old ad campaign that has been resurrected over the years that displays a consumer struggling with what we might imagine to be a familiar household occurrence. Whether that's your trash can liner falling into the can, or your cling wrap getting wrapped all around your arms and body. Such events are not only mildly frustrating and messy, but the ad would suggest they make us downright mad. Do you know where I'm going with this ad? If you remember these ads, you'll remember that they would advise us, don't get mad, get glad. Right, that was, that's what the advertisers would say to us at different points throughout history. And that, of course, might answer a domestic dilemma that we might be facing on any given moment in our kitchen or in our homes. But what about those things that are bigger and more consequential in life? Those things that are far bigger than simply spilling a few things on the floor. The evil that we see in our world. The evil that we see in our own communities. The evil as a community that regularly commits ourselves to confession that we see in our own hearts. And not just the evil, but evil that prospers. Evil that prospers. I know a lot of time has been spent philosophizing, maybe even theolog, I can't even say the word. Something with theology, <laughs> I know a lot of time has been spent saying, why do, good, or why do bad things happen to good people, right? We spend a lot of time maybe even wrestling personally with that question. But probably a, a, a bigger question for us and one that's more perplexing is why do good things happen to bad people? How come they seem to be getting away with it? Why are evil people in this world, in this nation, in our community, and communities around this world, why are they prospering? And this, of course, can all make us mad right it can make us angry or even worse it can make us envious for some of us it makes us want to get a piece of that action and so we might abandon our senses or maybe we might embrace our senses and abandon the spirit but the psalmist in psalm 37 would suggest there is a different kind of response We would say to us this morning that there is a response that's more faithful for us. and does so in a way that's different from previous psalms, where you hear the words, O God and O Lord, where you, you sense that this is a prayer directed to God, that this is a song or a poem that's pointed right to our Creator. But here in this psalm itself, we find instead exhortations to faith pilgrims like ourselves, exhortations of wisdom and teaching and instruction. And so we come to this we very much recognize that this psalm is pointing directly at us and saying, here then is how you should live. So what's the fuss? What's the fuss this morning? A number of responses grow within us when we see evildoers and their deeds prospering. And if you're saying, no, Jimmy, I'm immune to that. I've gotten to a spiritual place in my life where it just doesn't bother me. Yeah, you get fired up with the radio, but not me. I listen to Christian radio. Probably a lot of reasons there to get fired up. <laughs> but you might say, I've gotten myself to a place in life where I've reached a level of maturity where I don't have to deal with that. And then someone cuts you off in traffic. Or someone cuts in front of you in a line at the store. Or someone blocks your path. And you soon realize what your heart is capable of. You recognize how fired up you can get. But here's the orientation that the psalmist invites you and me to. And does it in the negative. Look at the first part of verse 1. Do not fret because of the wicked. All right, Do not fret because of the wicked. Now, fret paints a little different picture in my mind than what's the underlying language here. When I think of fret, I think of like, kind of like this anxious uh, kind of worry. When I say I want to fret about something, uh, there's kind of anxious worrying going on. But here what we have is this idea of getting heated. The language that's underneath there is one who's angry or indignant. And so the psalmist is saying, Don't get fired up. Don't get angry. Don't get indignant about these folks who are the wicked. And the reason for that is the outcome of that type of living, that kind of posture for us, we'll learn in verse 8, isn't good. It leads to evil. And you'll see that again in verse 8. The second part of the first verse, we also learn, again, a negative command here, do not be envious of wrongdoers. Do not be envious of them. We might say if you can't beat them join them <laughs> can't beat them join them and here's where this writer would say don't join them <laughs> if you can't beat them don't join them as tempting as it might be to claim some of that perceived blessing as tempting as it might be for you and i to get in on the action the psalmist here is going to caution to us that according to verse 2 that these same will wither and fade we'll go on to say in verses 9 and 10 that they'll be cut off and there'll be no more. There's no future. There's no inheritance in doing evil, engaging in wickedness. There's no permanence or security to that kind of life. I don't think that's where any of us want to be when we hear that. That's not the type of place that we're imagining for for ourselves. But how then should we live? How then should we live? The psalmist gives us almost a kind of checklist as we go through this section of the psalm, of what that looks like. In our house at home, we read a book called Dragons Love Tacos that we come around to quite frequently, and there's a page in there where they show different ingredients that dragons like in their tacos. And there's like cheese, lettuce, tomatoes. And whenever we get to that section in the, in the book, uh, we always pause. I always pause to read as my oldest daughter, uh, she'll say after each one, she'll say, check. So I'll go, lettuce, and she'll go, Check. Cheese, check. Tomato, check. That's this list. Now, it's not lettuce, cheese, and tomato. But that's the list right now for us. That's where we hear the psalmist and we go, check, or check. So the first one is this, verses 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Thanks for coming out with an easy one, Jimmy. I didn't do it. The psalmist said that. Trust in the Lord and do good. How different is what is promised for faithfulness from what is experienced in verse 2, when you look at these first couple of verses. Look at verses 3 and 4, how different that is than what comes in verse 2. We trust in the Lord, and we do good, unlike the fading grass of verse 2 that evildoers become. As opposed to this, this what's here now, but not here later. Rather, we have here the good things that God has for us, which include the legitimate desires of our heart. In verse 4. Not every desire of your heart. Don't press it too far, and start saying, "Great, I want a Rolls Royce." That's not where this text is going. But to recognize that that blessing, that permanence, that future, is not what is promised in verse two to evil, but rather is promised to those who trust in the Lord and do good. So that check. Commit your way to the Lord. Verse five. Now, some of you here might have memorized this verse. This is a big verse in in, in American Christianity. It's huge. People memorize it. They they weave it into tapestries. They have T-shirts printed. And I, I imagine here that as you memorize it, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and God will act. I mean, you you memorize that for good reason. It's a really good reason that's memorized. But note this: it's a summary of our text. It's a summary of what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 37. It's also a summary of what the life of faith looks like, that we commit ourselves that we trust, and that we know that God will take action. What we might see as temporary, what we see now is just might be just a setback, it's soon to be replaced. And so we commit ourselves and we trust in one uh, who is bringing about that restoration, who is bringing about that healing of the world. So commit your way to the Lord. Check. Second check. Third check. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Verse 7. We had a conversation this past week in our staff meeting about this particular one. What does it mean for us to be still before the Lord? And that's a question that each one of us has to ask ourselves regularly, daily, in the process of being still before the Lord. It's to be silent before God. It's to wait for God to take action. In my life, I want to go, come on, what's going on? Why is evil still happening? Why are they cut me off? And I go crazy. And I want to see God strike that person with whatever. Leprosy. I didn't know what that would look like. Something. Make them pay. And it rises up in us. And what happens here is we're invited by the Psalmist here to hear a different way forward, not to give in to the place where we might let evil and wickedness rage in our own hearts. But to get into God's rhythm here, and it's not only this psalmist who will say that. We'll actually hear later on in the psalms, another psalmist say this, For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. And of course, this might be one of the great challenges of the life of faith, is to wait. One of the great challenges of the life of faith, to be silent before God, because it represents a trusting of who God is and what God has said God will do. And that is an extremely difficult challenge for us as people. So we're to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Check. Another one we see here is to refrain from anger, we're to forsake wrath, and we're not to fret. And we hear that in verses eight and nine. Once more, we're to take stock of the temptation to act by our own standards, by our own efforts, by our own desires. We're here cautioned that we're to lay our arms down. That we're to wait again for God. But there's something here in this particular verses that might be even more troubling for us. Because our anger that bubbles up within us isn't always directed to the other person. Sometimes we're angry at God. Our anger rages against the one that we see, that we believe is failing to act on our behalf and so we're here again cautioned by that familiar frame from the beginning that we're not to be ones who fret that we're not to be ones who enter into this anger who enter into this place of wrath so what does that leave us at we have these different check places check 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 and check what does that leave for us as those who want to trust in the lord Does it leave us a place to enter into the fuss no it enters into a place that's the future i'm reminded here of a quote from the former president barack obama remember obama was fond of a quote that actually goes back to dr king and actually earlier than that obama actually had this sewn into a carpet that was put into the white house it says this the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice And that quote, of course, is famous with King, but King drew that from uh, a quote uh, that spoke to these same things from a Reverend Theodore Parker from the mid-19th century. And Parker's actually famous uh, for two quotes uh, we know today, uh, actually in the Gettysburg Address, there's a portion of that that came back from Parker. So you don't know Parker, but you've heard Parker before. And so this quote, this idea of the arc of moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, is just part of the the quote that King offered, and King uses throughout his life at different places in his ministry. But here it is in a larger context for King. He writes this, evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross, but the same Christ will rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C., so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. This all speaks of a different kind of future. It speaks of a different kind of future than what we might see here in the present as we look around. When we see hackers breaking into and breaching security to steal personal data, we see suicide bombers blowing themselves up and killing many. When we see people whose arguments escalate into violence with guns, and people are getting shot, both those in angry dispute as well as those who are innocent bystanders, we might start to believe and start to think that the world we live in is going to, and you can put whatever word you want in there, not a positive place. And here we're reminded of a different kind of future. We're reminded of a more hopeful one 21st century writer like Rob Bell would say, love wins. And some of you here might say, well, Carrie Underwood also said that, so you can include her as well. Our psalmist would say it this way in verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. This life of patient faith. And Jesus would agree. Because Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth our psalmist here wants you and me to not be short-sighted the psalmist wants us to have a long view and so i'm reminded here in closing of a particular story and some of you might recognize the name oscar romero you may remember the archbishop of san salvador el salvador At the time of his appointment in 1977 el salvador was a mess. It was mired in political violence and all kinds of human rights violations including a lot of disappearances. uh, People being kidnapped and killed never to be seen or heard from again. There were those who advocated and, and spoke out on behalf of the poor. There were those who spoke out against this oppression and this violence, but not the Archbishop. He didn't go public. He didn't speak out on, on these type of things. But then something happened. Something, the something that happened was a few weeks after becoming archbishop, a friend and fellow priest was assassinated. And his friend was one who spoke out against the injustice, one who called people to a different way of living, and because of that, he was killed. And that death deeply affected Romero, that murder of his friend. In fact, soon after... Oscar Romero, the archbishop, began to speak out himself. He spoke out against violence, denouncing injustice, preaching the gospel, inviting people to love their neighbor, as Christ had called us to. This, of course, got the people's attention. And people began to follow, and people began to speak out. People began to tune in regularly to his radio addresses and be inspired The poor, the oppressed, now had a larger voice than they had been afforded in the past. But of course, not everyone liked this new voice. Not everyone liked this one who was the voice for the voiceless. And on March 24, 1980, while celebrating the Mass, Archbishop Oscar Romero was murdered by an assassin's bullet while he stood there in worship. Someone jumped out of a car. They shot him, and they sped away. Events like that one give rise to fear. They give rise to discouragement, even anger. They cause us to wonder, what's going on? They cause us to wonder, is what I'm seeing today have any bearing in the reality of faith? Is faith even real? Is there anything to be hoped for? Is there anything to aspire to? When the voices get gunned down, when evil prospers, when evil-doers are victorious, it's a question that each one of us wrestles with at some point in our life. In others, it's a continuous wrestling match. Of course, there is in this something else to be invited to. Remember the psalmists? invites us to a new vista, a new place of vision. And so in the wake of the death of Oscar Romero, a prayer has circulated, one that was not penned by Romero. In fact, it was never spoken by him, and it was actually written before he died. But if you go out to the Internet today, you type in the prayer of Archbishop Oscar Romero, you'll see this prayer. It circulates even today, with his name attached to it. Because it very much connects with his life. But also to the words of the psalmist. So hear these words from the prayer. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. To take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts. It is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. The prayer goes on to say this, this is what we are about. The psalmist might say here, don't fret, don't be envious. Instead, what the prayer says, this is what we're to be about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very well. And so, friends, as faithful pilgrims, I offer these last portions of the prayer to you this morning. This is what we're about. It may be incomplete, It is the beginning, a step along the way. An opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Friends, when the circumstances of life have you fretting because cheaters actually do seem to prosper, we need a long view. We need to see our inheritance. We need to trust and to delight. And even more, we need to have a view that helps us to see our salvation, to see the one who is our refuge and our rescue. That we might see the one who gives sight to the blind. And not just sight for the distance, but vision for today. Christ makes this possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we experience that in our lives this day and every day of our lives. Amen.